Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News, where today, Monday, February 8th, we are preparing, I know this feels like a, the movie Groundhog Day, right, with Bill Murray, another impeachment trial, just a year after the last impeachment trial. And you know what? If our reporting is correct, we're going to end up at this impeachment trial where we ended up the last time. President Trump will be acquitted. He'll be considered innocent. And American people will again ask, why did we just go through that process? So uh, there are many breaking developments today that I want to get you up to speed on because all of them are very important. But first, I want to tell you who our guest is going to be because I'm really excited about this interview. North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson is joining us. He is the first African-American lieutenant governor in the history of North Carolina, a a southern state. And he was in office just a, a little bit about a month or so when a local TV station, WRAL in Raleigh, decided to put out a cartoon, by the way, done by a teacher in his state, portraying Mark Robinson, an African-American Republican, as a Ku Klux Klan member, just because he challenged an education curriculum that he thought was anti-American. Now, just think about that. An African-American who who picked himself from his bootstraps, he has an amazing story about growing up poor, having a short time in foster care, having an alcoholic father, uh, seeing abuse, joining the army, getting into uh, workforce, uh, watching the impact of NAFTA during the Clinton years, uh, take away factory jobs, and persisting all the way through the moment that he joined the political world this past year. And they want to call that man a Ku Klux Klan member just because he didn't uh, subscribe to the orthodoxy of what should be taught to children according to the elitists who run these school boards in the state. So uh, we're going to talk about that. What is it like to be an African-American with an impeccable record, uh, a hard work and, and success and dignity, and you get portrayed as a KKK member? There's something wrong with this in the media. And keep in mind, this was a TV station. just want to point this out. This was a TV station that's supposed to be neutral on its news. And they're putting out a cartoon suggesting that the lieutenant governor, by the way, an African-American, a man who's worked his whole life uh, to work his way up, the exact American dream that we all aspire to, being portrayed as a KK member. It doesn't make you scratch your head and wonder, where are we going with this crazy elitist world that we're in today? Well, we're going to get to that in a few minutes. But before we do that, 
Uh, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I want to get up to speed on some of the big headlines breaking today because they have some profound effect both on the impeachment trial and on the uh, Biden agenda, both which are streaming ahead in Congress at the exact same time. Uh, two tracks. Uh, let's get you up to speed on that right after this commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And hey, before I get into the headlines, I just want to mention something. If you're scrambling around like I almost always do uh, for a great idea for Valentine's Day, I have one for you. Why not cook your loved one steak, chicken, some good meal on the grill. You go to the effort of making the dinner intimate at home, and you know where you can get the best opportunity for that? My friends at Kansas City Steaks, I'm telling you, I'm doing this for my wife, Judy, this weekend. Yes, we're going to sit on the back porch or down away from the family and have a quiet night over some steak and some wine and uh, an opportunity to just be alone, enjoy our home, enjoy our fellowship, enjoy our company. And my friends at Kansas City Steaks, they have a very special offer. When you go to the site, kansascitysteaks.com, just put in the word Just News at checkout. You're going to get an unbelievable discount and free shipping. It is a great deal. Plus, it's a great idea. You know, you of course, everyone could go to a restaurant, and I want to support our restaurants during the pandemic. But why not make this uh, Valentine's Day a little different? You step up, do the work, cook the meal, put it on the grill, and uh, let your loved one know you went to the extra effort and you won't regret the flavor of these incredible steaks. I can't, I'm addicted to them. I can't stop eating them. I'm probably going to need to get a health fitness program now, but I'm telling you, it's great. I love it. And uh, if you can jump in there and do that, you'll not only uh, making uh, a special night for your loved one, you'll be supporting justthenews.com and John Solomon Report. So just a quick pitch for me from our good friends at Kansas City Steaks. I'll be doing it this weekend. All right, headlines quickly. Uh, first, we heard over the weekend that the AFL-CIO chief, Richard Trumka, was very upset with Joe Biden for canceling the Trans-Canada pipeline. That's a significant thing. Why? Because AFL-CIO helped get Joe Biden into office. They, they, they worked the streets. They, they, uh, they whipped the vote. They communicated with their members. And what did they get as a thank you? They got 11,000 fewer union jobs thanks to the cancellation of the Trans-Canada pipeline. Now, here comes the second story. The neutral Congressional Budget Office, nonpartisan, right? Their job is just to come up with the facts, ma'am. They have a study out this morning. uh, More than a million jobs will be lost. More than a million Americans will become unemployed if uh, Joe Biden steams ahead with the Democratic proposal to increase the minimum wage to $15. Uh, That's a warning. We don't have room for losing jobs. We've already lost too many. We're trying to keep this economy going. President Trump had it back on track. Uh, we saw some growth over the, the, the third quarter that was pretty historic. But if the CBO is correct, you're going to have the second big job killer in the Biden administration if they pass that minimum wage. Check that story out at justthenews.com. It's very important. Now, tomorrow they're going to start the impeachment trial. I know it seems crazy, 
but we're going to do it. It's less than six weeks from uh, the event on, on the Capitol, the tragedy there. And uh, two things are important. First off, today, President Trump's lawyers uh, wrote and requested an immediate dismissal, saying that they can prove that this trial, as currently constructed, violates the Constitution. It's an unconstitutional practice. Um, and, you know, of course, the Democrats who control the Senate probably aren't going to take that seriously. But it's important to note that's a very important filing. And if you read the arguments, they're going to sound an awful lot like, I know you're going to find this funny, Ken Starr, the great legal expert we had on our show last week, or uh, the great Harvard law professor, Alan Dershowitz, or Harmeet Dillon, or so many of the other. Uh, Jonathan Turley had a really amazing column in my old employer, The Hill, this weekend, talking about why this process is insane, uh, uh, why uh, the president's speech was protected by the First Amendment. Even if you disagreed with it, it's protected for free speech. And the president doesn't lose his first uh, free speech rights just because he became president. Important column to read there. But this filing by the President Trump's attorneys, very much in line with many of the legal experts that I've been talking to, some who we've had on this show, and uh, point that out. Now, the last thing I wanted to do is, if it is going to go get to trial, and it's going to get to a trial, they're, they're, they're not going to just dismiss the charges like President Trump's uh, lawyers have asked, although you know it's a legitimate ask based on what the legal experts are saying. But if they're going to proceed, you got to get the facts, right? Trials aren't about emotion. They're not about politics. They're about the facts of evidence. What is in evidence? What happened? And I want to tell you, uh, over the last two weeks, I've gone through more than 100 FBI affidavits and court filings of all these people who have been charged with their unlawful participation in the Capitol riots. And let me be clear. Uh, what happened at the Capitol was a crime committed by hundreds of people. It's one thing to have passion. It's, a, it's a one thing to say you love your country. But when you violate the law, when you violate uh, people's safety, when you put people's lives in danger, when you lead to deaths, you've committed a crime. you got to be punished. I say the same thing for the summer protests with Antifa and BLM. Those people should go to prison. These people at the Capitol Hill, if they're convicted, should go to prison because they violated the law. There's just no room for violence in America, not against each other. What's going on with us? We're turning against each other. Our adversaries in China and Russia and North Korea and Iran must be laughing their tails off seeing us attack each other. We're better than this. We should be America, we the people, together. We can disagree about issues and approaches, but we don't have to cancel, censor, or violently punish uh, our, our those we disagree with. And so I start with that premise. But then... Given that premise, here's the important thing. The charge in the, in the impeachment is that the president incited a spontaneous riot. His speech, his words, encouraged people, according to the House Democrats, to engage in the unlawful, violent behavior that they engaged in. There's only one problem, or there's actually two problems. One with John Turley and, and uh, Kenneth Starr and, and uh, Alan Dershowitz and many other great minds have pointed out. The president explicitly exhorted people to go there peacefully, peacefully. That's going to be a real problem from a fact standpoint. But here's the bigger standpoint. Here's the bigger factual thing that just completely undercuts what the incitement charge claims. You go through those 100, 120 FBI affidavits and court filings, and you find this extraordinary uh, pattern. This attack didn't happen spontaneously. It was being planned for weeks and months, at least back to November, according to the FBI. So if the FBI has this evidence, it raises the question, why is it important to the president? Because it shows that people were raising money and asking for donations of communications equipment 
of combat gear. November, December, some I think December 27th was one of the appeals I saw it in there. They were talking about having uh, command uh, uh, structure and people identified as the commander and some of the things. There were pre-meetings at the hotel. The pipe bombs that we ultimately found at the DNC and the RNC, the Republican National Committee, Democratic National Committee, they were planted the night before. That's not spontaneous. And obviously those bombs had to be built before then, those explosives. That didn't happen spontaneously. And you go through these um, communications these that have been intercepted. By the way, many of them were in plain view of the FBI before all this happened. There was uh, on Parler, on Facebook, on Twitter, on GoFundMe, on other uh, crowdsourcing fund pages, funding pages, all of this activity is going on. And that raises another question we got to get to someday. Was the FBI, which claimed it was looking at all this extremism, was it asleep at the switch? What happened? I offer some insights in the story about what Christopher Ray has been telling people, which is it's hard sometimes to know where free speech ends and where incitement begins. And I'm, I'm pretty sure as we look back, the FBI might have gotten that line wrong on this particular case. Now, I'm not the only one going through these documents to find this, the former Capitol Hill police chief, uh, Chief Sund, wrote a letter to the leadership of Congress clarifying the records. And in that, he talks about this being a highly coordinated attack, a highly coordinated attack. And he offers many pieces of proof. I think the most compelling is many of the perpetrators had earpieces that allowed them to communicate with their fellow uh, rioters. Uh, that is just like the Antifa BLM writers. Remember where the ice, uh, the bottles and the bricks and the uh, strategic comms were going on for them. Uh, same thing here. This can't have been, a, you can't have a spontaneous riot that was planned weeks in advance. It's either one or the other, either the FBI's line or the House Democrats have it wrong, but it can't be both. Now, some people may have joined in spontaneously, but the, the actual criminal activity that we're talking about was planned. It was pre-planned. If you want to see the level of evidence, I put a lot of these affidavits in line, the, the chief's letter. You can read all these things. They give a very clear factual basis for this. And the um, uh, I really want you to take a look at, at, if you get a chance, go to justthenews.com, check out the headline. I think it'll be very interesting. All right, enough of me talking. We're going to go to another commercial break. When we come back, the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson, with a compelling story of a, I believe, a racially motivated cancel culture effort. Uh, you won't believe how a local TV station portrayed the first African-American governor in North Carolina's history. We're going to hear directly from him, Mark Robinson, right after these commercial breaks. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, the very new Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina, Mark Robinson. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Robinson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. 
Well, you made history, obviously, uh, this past election when you became um, uh, North Carolina's first African-American lieutenant governor. But you have an amazing personal history. And I thought before we got into some of the stories that have made national news about you recently, I'd love our audience to learn a little bit about your extraordinary past as a child, as in foster care, in the military. It's really a remarkable bio. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, your path to the uh, to the lieutenant governor uh, office? Well. I was born and raised in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. And looks like my bio says I am number nine of ten children. Uh, I grew up uh, there in Greensboro on the east side, uh, very, very, very poor. Uh, I like to put it like this: I had all the so-called strikes against me. I was poor. I was black. Uh, my father died. My father was actually an alcoholic. Right. Uh, witnessed a lot of domestic violence. I was in foster care for a little while, but I was a baby when that happened, so I don't really remember it. My older brothers and sisters remember that time, right. but I was very young when that happened. But uh, we were able to all come back as a family with my mom and my dad. My mom and dad had a very contentious relationship, but she stayed married to him. And we maintained, they maintained a household for us until my father passed away in 79 when I was 12 years old. Uh, when my mom, when my, father died he actually ran our household my mother didn't work outside at home she got a she got a job as a custodian to take care of wow. got welfare bought a home she did a lot of fantastic things and i've always considered her be to be one of the ultimate examples of my life of how you can make a life for yourself and you don't have to rely on the government to do things for you and you could be a free and independent person no matter what your situation may be and so uh i joined the military when i was very uh when i was young when i was in high school uh, served for about three years in the Army Reserve as a medical specialist. Uh, got out of the military. Uh, actually went into furniture manufacturing. Uh, saw two jobs lost there uh, to uh, NAFTA. Right. Uh, uh, and uh, when I got back into politics, uh, personally, I was working at a factory, going to school full time. My plan was to be a history professor at the college level. And so, um, things kind of got sidetracked from there. I did the speech at the city council that, uh, you know, a lot of people saw. And then, uh, you know, I had a lot of people want me to do a lot of different things, but I said, Hey, if we really want to make some changes. We got to do it, uh, on, a, on the, on the level where it can really make some, some good changes. So we decided to run for office. We decided to run for lieutenant governor. And here we are two and a half years later, sitting as the first black lieutenant governor of North Carolina. It's pretty remarkable. And, you know, what I love about the bio is that so many you had the perfect level of excuses to not succeed. Right. And you had so many different things that stepped in your way. And each step of the way, you were determined to make um, yourself better and in, to advance. And I mean, it, it's just such a story of inspiration when you see people that don't use their past as an excuse not to succeed, but use it as motivation to, to move forward. It's it really is pretty remarkable. Absolutely. I always, I, you know, I guess you could probably say it like this. It wasn't an excuse to fail. It was an excuse to succeed because, you know, the way I look at it, there are a lot of people uh, who had a lot worse than I did in, in times past. Right. And uh, they succeeded. And if they could do it, I certainly could too. And I owed it to them to be able to do it. That's an amazing thing. It's it's, it's worth treasuring and uh, sharing with uh, the American public. Such a great story. So you get into office and one of the early um, issues that you take on is the new social study standards that the state uh, is considering. Talk how that spurred uh, a lot of controversy and what you were trying to do when, when you intervened. Well, uh, these social study standards have been on my radar here for a while now. Uh, 
But ultimately, what what drew me into this fight, of course, is the fact that I sit on the state board of uh, the state school board. I'm a voting member as lieutenant governor. I'm a voting member of the state right. school board. And uh, the the standards that we're talking about, uh, after reviewing them, I just to me they're very anti-American. Uh, they're very negative in, in tone. Uh, I don't see any of them pointing to any of the great things about this nation. It seems to be all negative. And uh, we stood up vehemently against them because we feel like politics have entered the game, and those politics are leftist politics. And leftist policy is what we see coming into these, these standards. And because we took such a hard stand against those things, some people decided that they would uh, you know, insult us in not just an egregious way, but also a historically inaccurate way. And uh, we just decided we were, we're not going to take that line down. And we decided to fight back. Wow. And uh, you wake up um, uh, on the second day of Black History Month, I guess February 2nd, uh, to an editorial cartoon uh, published on WRAL. Uh, it must have shocked you. It did. It shocked me uh, again. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I like to preface this by saying, you know, this is not a referendum on the First Amendment. We're not telling people that they don't have the right to make, uh, you know, cartoons depicting political uh, figures uh, unfavorably, unfavorably, even if they are offensive. Uh, people have the right to be able to do that. But here it is. Uh, my major, the thing that, that my major point of contention is, WRL is a major news outlet here in North Carolina that prides itself on being fair and equitable and they talk about inclusion and all those things. You know, they, they talk about all the um, all the code words, all the left right. neutrality, We're objectivity. <laughs> we will stand up for everybody. We're against racism. We're against bigotry. And here they are on the second day of Black History Month, portraying the first black lieutenant governor as a Ku Klux Klan. Mm. I mean, it goes against everything that they say that they are. So my fight against them and my stand against them is not to hold them to any standard that I have. My my stand against them is to hold them accountable by their own standards. Their own standards, right. I'm not holding them accountable to anybody else's standards but their own and asking them, is this who you are? And if it is, tell me that's who you are so I'll know it in the future whenever I'm dealing with uh, We had on this show uh, last year Larry Elder that talked about this constant um, effort when there is a, a, a black Republican conservative to portray them as disconnected from the uh, mainstream media's perception of what a black politician should be. Does this episode fit into that? What do you think motivated? I mean, it's such an outrageous thing. When you, I mean, just on the face of it, factually, it's outrageous. Never mind how it emanated with what was supposed to be a neutral news organization. But is this an effort to cancel anyone who doesn't um, uh, adhere to a certain orthodoxy that the media feels uh, should be adhered to? Absolutely. I think once they saw uh, that myself and the other Republican uh, members of the state school board had good arguments against these standards, they resorted to their old playbook. And their old playbook is, you're a racist, you're a bigot. Uh, what really amazed me about it, it, again, is twofold, is that it's an organization, uh, a news organization like WRL that would do this. And second, that the person who drew the cartoon is actually a social studies teacher, an eighth grade social studies teacher. Wow, I didn't know that. So. Absolutely, yes, yeah. and uh, those are the two most amazing facts about it. A historically inaccurate racist cartoon promoted by one of the biggest news outlets in North Carolina 
and drawn by a North Carolina public school teacher. Wow. That does not bode well for where we're going in this state. And it certainly proves the point of what we're saying about indoctrination in the classroom. Because if this fellow is doing this on WRL, what is he doing in this classroom? Such a great point. Yeah, and it literally does prove the point you were trying to make by, by taking on the social study standards. What's the reaction been like in the state? I mean, um, first, what has, w, has WRAL done anything? And, and, and secondly, what, what about the, the general population? Well, WRAL has doubled down. They said it's their right to put these editorials out. So I know exactly who WRAL is now. I've, I've always kind of known who they were. Uh, but this has proven the point to me and several other people around the state about who they are exactly and what we're facing uh, with organizations like them. Uh, the reaction from people across the state as I travel the state, travel places, has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, people that were previously not aware of these social studies standards, uh, they talked about them a lot during the meetings we had, talking about how they had 7,000 people that reviewed these standards, right. and 85% of those 7,000 uh, agreed with them. We ran a, a uh, we had a petition and we described the standards and had the standards available. We had uh, three, three or four days, I think we ran this petition. And in those three or four days, we had 30,000 signatures on those petitions of people who are against. In just a few days? Wow. Yes, in, in four days. And we took those concerns to the school board before the vote and told that no matter for whatever reason, people weren't really uh, aware of these standards that they are now. And now we see that we have a, just a small sample, 30,000 people in four days that are against these standards. And we begged them to stop and reconsider. But, of course, they didn't. They went ahead and they, they voted for it. It's, uh, it is remarkable. And, and uh, you know, we, we had Burgess Owens, a great NFL star, on one of our TV shows this morning. And he, he said he, he can't watch NFL games anymore. This is remarkable. One of the greatest football players of his generation. And he can't watch the NFL anymore because it angers him to see the NFL focus just on a small portion of America's bad history while ignoring, uh, the, you know, the great all the great parts of American history. Is there a larger... Uh, movement going on. How, how did we get to this point that we're ashamed of one of the greatest countries ever developed on the face of the earth? What, what, what turned this over the last 10 or 20 years? Uh, well, I, I'm going to be honest with you. My opinion is that we have allowed for far too long, we have allowed leftist dogma, a socialist dogma to dictate the conversation and create the narrative. We have got to stop that. As, as conservatives, as Republicans, as patriots, we have to put our voices in more to, to, to dictate the narrative and tell people what actually happened. We have to let people know about the great story of this nation. And yes, that terrible things have happened. In, in sure. This terrible injustices have taken place. Uh, we've had some terrible institutions in this country, slavery being one of them, Jim Crow being one of them. But by and large, it's our exceptional American government, our, our American system, our, the words of our founding documents, our constitution, our court of law. That is what we use to right those wrongs. And that's the story we need to be telling people. Not that the United States is a horrible, horribly racist place where people of color and women can't succeed, because we know that is not true. Uh, we have seen people of color. We have seen women. We have seen uh, people of all stripes in this nation succeed. This is one of the freest and most prosperous places on earth for, for a wide swath of people in this nation. And, and, and that's what we want to celebrate. But for far too long, like I said, we've let left to say the exact opposite. We've got to stop doing it. 
Now, when you look at that now, uh, it seems like for those who want to stop it, who want to improve the dialogue, the cards are stacked against us, right? There's uh, social media censorship. There's um, a cancel culture. Uh, there's demonetization of, of advertisers that support conservative causes. You can go all the way through and you start to scratch your head. How do you reverse the game? Well, you're a strategic thinker and you, you, you are a person you know, really inclined to fix things and go and address things and fix them. How do, how do conservatives get an upper hand and at least an equal hand in, in trying to rectify this debate? We take our message directly to the people. We help, our, we help the people to understand that when you silence one voice, you're not just silencing that one voice. You're making it possible to silence all voices. And it might be Trump supporters today, or it might be conservatives today, but tomorrow it may be your voice. Uh, when you talk about stifling people, uh, beliefs, no matter what they might be, uh, you want to stifle their beliefs today? It might be your belief tomorrow. It may be your church. It may be your organization. It might be what you believe in that's coming next. So we have to understand that in our system of government, silencing voices and stifling free speech is dangerous to any constitutional republic, any freedom-loving people anywhere. And we've got to take that message directly to the people of the United States, directly to the people of North Carolina, and, 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 and help them to understand and get them to understand that this is dangerous. What we are seeing right now is absolutely dangerous to our republic because it will not stop with conservatives. It'll move on to, to many other folks as well. Yeah, once you get the snowball rolling and you infringe on those freedoms, there's no, you're right, there's no limits. History has shown there's no limits to, to where that censorship and cancel culture can go. Um, I love the part of your story why you're, you're, as you're getting into your first jobs, you're at a factory where you see NAFTA have the negative impact on jobs. and. Just this past week, weekend, we saw the head of the FLCIO openly decry uh, Joe Biden, a man who they helped put in office, by the way, for canceling mm -hmm. the TransCanada uh, pipeline and, and eliminating 11,000 uh, union jobs and many more downstream from the, the main project. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you think there's a disconnect uh, already between the Biden agenda and the blue collar workers that may have come back to the party this past election? Is and and where 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 might we see that uh, disconnect grow over the next few years? Well, I think it's, 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 the more we see the Biden administration move in the direction of the climate change change cabal, uh, and move in the direction of doing things uh, to destroy the jobs that are out there, some of the jobs that President Trump has helped to bring back and helped try to expand. Uh, I think you're going to see more discontent uh, with those policies. And as conservatives, we need to make sure that we're highlighting that. We need to start letting people know that, hey, elections have consequences, and who you vote for has consequences. Just because you think you're supposed to go and push a D, because that's who the union leader said, it's not always going to be great for you. And we need to make sure that we're telling folks that, that, that these elections, they do have consequences. And, you know, I already see a lot of people waking up over what's happening. Some of the flippant comments that have been made by some people at the highest levels about yeah. you can just go get another job or you can make solar panels when 90% of jobs are. It doesn't work that way. China. Yeah. Right. It doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, we're supposed to be standing up for Americans and American workers. And this administration is not doing it. And I think it's going to show with a lot of people. Yeah, no, that, that, I'm starting to see the conversations. I just went to go pick up coffee over the weekend, and some people that I knew were Biden supporters were uh, starting to get some cold feet, and, and uh, like, uh, how bad is this going to get? I'm like, I don't know. you got to look at what he said he was going to do. He's, he's doing exactly what he said he was going to do. So it's, yeah, I think people are taking a second look. 
I wanted to go back to the moment where I, I kind of put the mark on the map that your your political career really began. That was back in April of 2018 when you're sitting in front of the Greensburg, uh, Greensboro City Council. And there's a video, I think it's, I think I read it's been seen 150 million times now. But talk about that speech, that moment, and what happened to you personally, and also what, what it meant for, for the city and the state for you to take the stand you did at that moment. Well, you know, that, that speech, to me, confirmed, I, was, I wouldn't say proved, it confirmed a lot of, of beliefs that I've had for a long time, uh, chiefly among them being this. Uh, you know, in this age of Facebook and Instagram and the Internet, uh, a lot of people do their politics over those things. And I was the person that was doing all of my politics over those venues. But nothing, uh, nothing beats showing up in person to make your voice. <laughs> Isn't that like true? Founders and Retail politics. Standing yep. in the hall, letting your opinion be known in public to those people that you have elected in office or who are in office uh, making the decisions that will determine the direction of your community. And, uh, you know, they say that one person can't make a difference, but I, I would beg to differ with that. I think that God allowed me to have a, uh, God allowed me to be able to make, make a difference that time. And, uh, I thank God every day that he gave me the voice and the ability to be able to do that. Uh, that's, that's the number one thing. The second thing with it is this. You know, uh, with, after it happened, I, I had an opportunity to do a lot of wonderful things. You know, I got to I got to go overseas. I got to, you know, be connected with the NRA and right. things there. And I heard from a lot of people that said, you know, you should go out, build a brand. You can make X amount of dollars, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, it also, what it boiled down to me was uh, – my faith and believing that God put me there for a purpose. And the purpose he put me there for was to help protect the freedoms that he has given us. And I said, uh, I'm not going to use this as a, a time to make money or become famous. I want to affect some real change. Wow. And so after a lot of real heavy consideration, we decided to run for office. But Join the public that night was, it was absolutely, uh, it was a ground shaking moment for me and for a lot of other people because, it has inspired so many people to get involved in this movement. It really has. No, it, it has. And and the passion and, and the honesty of the moment just, you know, it came through that video in a way that, you know, you, you just knew that it was meant to be. You're in a state that uh, now has, for two consecutive elections, split the leadership. You're a Republican as a lieutenant governor. There's a Democratic governor. Um, what is going on in these states, whether it's Georgia, Virginia, which is, you know, used to be a red state and has been increasingly yeah. governed by Democrats, North Carolina, ticket splitting a lot. What's the dynamic? And if you're a Republican or conservative and you're listening, how do you change that dynamic? How do you have these states come back home to you, so to speak? Again, we have to be unafraid to, to get in and dictate the narrative. We've got to stop being afraid to tell our story. For far too long, we've been afraid to stand up and tell the story of who the Republican Party is, where the Republican Party came from. You know, I would, I would submit to you this. Every member of our party should know our history, chapter and verse, and be able to repeat it at a moment's notice because our story, the Republican Party story, is the story of freedom and equality, a party that has truly fought for equal rights for people in this nation, have made changes for the positive. Uh, for equal rights in this nation. We have a glorious story. Unfortunately, we have allowed other people to tell our story. We need to stop doing that. We need to take our message directly to the people, and we need to be unafraid to do it. And I think if we do that in a lot of, lot of quarters, and if we diversify uh, our candidate list, 
I think we're going to see a lot of people start to come into our party that normally happens. That's really the key, right, is, is the candidate recruitment and getting getting the party to look more like America. We saw in the last House election when we got some strong suburban women, they all won. Most of them won in the in the districts and um, more African-Americans, more Hispanics. It seems like diversity and strong candidates, people who can speak and hold their ground like you do, uh, is is really the key. Do you see that going on at the state level? It looks like, you know, Kevin McCarthy's got it under under wraps at the House now. They're really working on getting a diverse, robust, and charismatic group of um, politicians. How do we get it at the state level? Well, I think one, one of the things we're going to see at the state level, and we're starting to see this now, with some of the egregious actions that have been committed during this COVID, uh, uh, during the COVID pandemic, some of the uh, the breaches of our constitution, both state and federal, uh, that we've seen, uh, the destruction of our economy, uh, the overstepping the bounds, it's angered a lot of people who are heretofore were not engaged. Those folks are getting engaged, and they're starting to understand one thing. And this is one of the things that I thank God for as well. My my run for office and my win for office has inspired ordinary citizens and let them know. These positions, Isn't that amazing? Whether it be your city council, your school board, your mayor, your your uh, lieutenant governor, whatever the position may be, they are not closed off to ordinary people. You do not have to have the right kind of, quote, pedigree to run for office. The only thing you have to have is the talent and drive and, and the ability to be able to carry out your duties. And I think we're going to see a wide swath of people across many different states start to stand up and step up and run for office and make changes in their communities in their state. It's pretty amazing. Well, your your own personal story affirms that that strategy does indeed work. Lieutenant Governor Robertson, how do, how do people follow you on Twitter, Facebook, uh, stay in touch with you if they're interested or inspired by what we talked about today? Uh, on Facebook, you can find me at Mark Robinson on Facebook. Uh, you can also find me on uh, Twitter at Mark Robinson NC. That's just Mark, Mark. Robinson NC. Excellent. Yep. Very good. Well, sir, we're going to be following what you're doing, and uh, I hope they get you back in the show, but we're going to be watching North Carolina real closely the next couple of years as you start to put your mark on, on it on behalf of the great people who elected you there. I can't, can't wait to see what happens. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for having me. We appreciate it. Look forward to coming back. My pleasure, sir. Thank you very much. All right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. I'm so grateful that you came and listened today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Mark Robinson. He's clearly a rising star in um, uh, North Carolina and, quite frankly, in the larger Republican Party. You've seen him with the NRA uh, on their outreach board. I've seen him on Fox and Friends, his YouTube version of his 2018 speech to Greensboro City Council has reached 150 million people. Man, I'd like to reach 150 million people with anything. It's really remarkable. 
Um, but uh, as we uh, close out, uh, I want to remind you one thing. One of the things that uh, Lieutenant Governor Robinson said is that the key for Republicans, if you're a Republican and you're listening, and I get this question a lot, is to do what Democrats did a few years ago. Get a diverse, qualified, charismatic group of candidates. That's how the Democrats took back the House in 2018. And, you know, you saw Kevin McCarthy make inroads in that by getting stronger candidates in the House, but up and down the ticket at the state, at the local level, from school board to state legislature to lieutenant governor to governor, to, uh, the drive that so many smart people are telling me we need to do uh, if you're if you're a Republican, and remember I'm neutral. I don't I don't belong to either party. I, I I don't even vote. I try to stay neutral, so I don't vote. But the the key is candidate recruitment, getting people that are diverse, that look like America, talk like America, have values that align with their party. There are too many people in both parties that don't seem to embrace the actual. Uh, sentiments, policy objectives of the party they claim to belong to, getting people who are in on the party's agenda, charismatic, look like America, successful, talk well, speak well, communicate well. I think Mark Robinson's on to something. And, you know, uh, the Democrats proved it works. That's how they won back the House in 2018. All right, folks, that's enough for today. When we come back tomorrow, we'll have more breaking news. It'll be day one of impeachment. You know there's going to be news there. All right. Until then, may God bless you. May God bless this country. Have a great night. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with a new edition of John Solomon Reports. Until then, if you need a news fix, you know where to go. Justthenews.com, where all my colleagues are working hard to get you the breaking news of the day. 